Uh, what, what we're going to talk about is some sobering thoughts. And we're going to take this, these sobering thoughts from Romans chapter 12. People who are intoxicated, they have a tendency to, to think uh, that they can do anything. I'm sure that you've uh, probably run across some people like that. In fact, I could tell you some stories myself, but I don't want to run this uh, message longer than it needs to be. Uh, what happens is most of the time they overestimate their abilities, underestimate their brilliance, <laughs> amen. And when they, uh, they get sober though, they, they normally uh, see some of the foolish things that they've done may uh, sober them up rapidly. And uh, they may have a different understanding or a sober thought once they realize some of the things that they've done. I, I remember one instance myself where I was racing down the road uh, on a two-lane highway, dragging with somebody with other cars on the road, and I was going 115 miles an hour trying to pass somebody on a hill, and I thought I could do it. But I had a few drinks in me, and I wiped my car out and... And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't be here with you today. Young people also tend to think that uh, they're indestructible. And I'm sure you have many stories there that you could tell. But after some of their close friends meet untimely deaths due to traffic accidents or drug abuse or whatever, a lot of young people have a more sober understanding of life and death. There's a lot of folks also take, they have a lot of thought for the things of this life. They, they plan for, you know, retirement. They, they make sure that money's set aside. They buy homes for the future. They invest. They, they save money to send their kids to school and and they want to try to have the best for that. They make a lot of sacrifices, parents do, for their children to make sure that when those kids grow up that they actually can make a good life for themselves. And I think that, those are great things. But to plan for the future and sacrifice for the future for your children without any thought of their eternal life, is not sober thinking. I pray that there's a lot of folks that are out here in the world that give very little thought to how their life is going to be once they leave this life. There's one thing for certain, everybody will leave this life. It is a certainty. And what surprises me is so little people will think about the life that is to come. So my prayer is that they would begin to think more soberly about their eternal life before it's too late. Now today I have some sobering thoughts from the Word of God for believers. It's not for unbelievers, but believers. My intention is to change your way of thinking about holiness. Now, a lot of people have 
understandings about holiness, and I believe a lot of those understandings or ways of thinking are incorrect. I believe there are some incorrect views among our members and definitely among members of other churches. What truly distinguishes the Christian or the church from the world is what we really want to know. If you want to know what holiness is, holiness is, is what distinguishes. It's what separates you from everybody else. It is what distinguishes you from the world. And as I was up in Dollywood, I noticed I happened to be up there during the gospel festival. And Deb says, what did they do? Turn out the, uh, you know, the old age home? Or is this adult week or what? Uh, old age, old folks week? Because I got to looking around and everybody up there was as old as I was. And a lot of them was even older. But one thing I did notice, I could always tell when there were some women that was from the apostolic churches or United Pentecostal Church or, or whatever, People, women that were from these churches, they would all have their hair up in a bun and they would wear long dresses and you could pick them out. Of, you can pick them out from the Baptists. You can pick them out from the Methodists. I think most people up there at the Gospel Jamboree or festival was there for gospel and there's very few sinners that are going to go out to show up, pay $40 to, see, uh, to hear gospel. So I believe most people up there were Christians and we could pick out the ones that were apostolic. Those that had the so-called standards that people talk about in a lot of the apostolic churches. I was wondering, though, how do we pick out apostolic men? What is it? Why do, why do they not stand out like the women? And I wondered... Does this standard of judgment that we use, as far as standards is concerned, identify the true apostolic? Are we using the right standard to judge with, is what I wondered. And I wondered if, if you were to compare Christians with non-Christians. How would you pick them out of a crowd? be very difficult, wouldn't it? We've run across people that I've seen that look like they come out of hell's angels, and yet they're professing Christians. Now, I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying their looks doesn't tell me that they're Christian. So I, I must have some preconceived notion of what I think a Christian looks like. And I believe the world has that same thing. They, they have a preconceived notion. As I've said before, we see a preacher, somebody in a suit, we think, well, there's a preacher, especially if it's on Sunday. And these days, there are very few preachers even wear suits. But we have an expectation. We, we seem to have a stereotype of what a Christian looks like. I want to be able to know what the true standard of holiness is. What is a true standard that distinguishes the true Christian from those in the world? The heathen. 
That's a word we don't use much anymore, heathen. I've seen some Christians, I believe they act like heathen. My grandmother used to call me a heathen, us boys. That was Grandma Stennett. She would always say, get in here, you heathen. Whatever we was doing, we was always doing something that we weren't supposed to do. So she called us heathen. A heathen is somebody that don't have no moral standards. They just pretty much do what they want to do. They have no moral upbringing. <laughs> so today I have some uh, sobering thoughts that I'd like for you to consider. And they come from Romans chapter 12. So if you would, let's stand for just a reading of three verses that we can use as our introductory test. I want you to know you might want to get your Bibles because I'm going to read every verse in this chapter. But verse 1 begins, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, everybody say holy, holy. acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Everybody say service. service. The reason I ask that is because the definition of holiness is that you are set apart for service. Okay? I always remember that. Verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now a lot of people stop at this point and preach their message on holiness. But I'm going to go a little bit further. Verse 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. And you can be seated. There's a lot of people that think they stand on these principles simply because of the way they look. Because they look like Christians. In the military, you know what we call that? Eyewash. It is when the colonel knows that there's an inspection team coming by, he runs around and everybody paints up the place and they, they fix everything up and it looks, I mean, spit-shined and all that. Same thing happens when we were growing up and somebody was coming special over to see our house. We would go through and clean the house up. Even here tonight, we thought we was going to get a visitor and we wanted to make certain provisions we didn't want to put any, uh, you know, negative image out that might run somebody off. But in reality, all these things are eyewash. They give the appearance that everything is all right, but it's not necessarily true. I'm sure you've heard that you can't judge a book by its cover. Now, I'm not saying that 
we should not judge by what we see. Because the way you really judge a book is by reading the whole book. What this saying is saying to us is that we can't judge something by the title. Romans chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, introduced the subject of holiness to the Roman church. To stop at those two verses and preach holiness without going into the rest of the chapter leaves a lot undone, and you get a misunderstanding of what everything's about. So I believe, rather than only looking at an introduction to something, like a, that's what a title of a book does, it introduces the subject. And sometimes they'll use a catchy title to get your attention. It's eyewash. And this is what verse 1 and 2 is. But many people grab that verse and they run off to preach their message on holiness. Paul is introducing the subject of holiness, as I said, in these two verses. We cannot stop at these and pay only attention to them and walk away and say we understand holiness. But that's exactly what a lot of people do. What we need to do is examine the rest of the story, the rest of the chapter, and I believe by doing that, we will be able to think more soberly about the subject of holiness. Now, what does it mean to be holy? Well, I want you to, t t to let you know that the first thing Paul did after reading, writing verse 1 and 2 about holiness, his introduction, the first thing he did is begin to warn people about taking this holiness and misunderstanding it. To think sober about something is what he said. He says, for I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. The problem is when we begin to look at holiness, we have a tendency to either, either overestimate ourselves or underestimate ourselves in relation to holiness. To think sober about something is to think rationally without any fanciful speculation. Believers often conform more to the way the world thinks about holiness than they do to the way Christ thinks about holiness. What we do is we tend to think more highly about ourselves than we should. The Bible says we shouldn't think that way. In other words, that's not a sober, it's not a sober thought. To think of himself more highly than you ought to. It's not sober to think of yourself less than you ought to. 
There is a good self-image that we should have of ourselves. And to think higher or lower than that is not sober thinking. We should have a healthy image, I said. A, a healthy self-image. And we should never overestimate ourselves. One thing that must be taken into account when we're doing a self-examination, because that's what we're doing, and I've been talking about self-examinations before. When you examine yourself to see if you're living a holy life, the very first thing that should be taken into account is you need to recognize that you are nothing without God. Because that's the first part of sober thinking. Anytime you think you're something, you're nothing. We need to understand that. A true Christian that has the standards of holiness applied to his life never thinks of himself that he is anything except through Christ. We're nothing without God. We should never judge our talents. We should never judge ourselves based on our talents. We should never judge ourselves based on our wealth or our education level. I've heard people in this church say, well, I'm not very educated. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not either, but I may be educated compared to somebody that only went to the third grade. But that don't mean that because I went to two years in college, I'm better than somebody that went to the third grade. When we start evaluating ourselves and esteeming, esteeming ourselves higher because of wealth or education or something, we are overestimating ourselves. As I say, somebody said, well, I, I don't have no education. You know, I can't think of a, hardly a single thing that I'm doing today that I learned in school. Now think about it. I went to school and I learned a lot of stuff. But I can't think of anything that I'm doing right now other than reading. You know, I do read. But most of the basics, you learn it by the sixth grade. The only difference between somebody that may advance in an education is because they have a willingness to learn. Somebody that is totally third grade illiterate has the same potential to learn as the person with a college degree. There's a lot of self-taught people. So we should never judge ourselves based on the talents that we have, the wealth that we have, the education level, the title that we possess, or the function that we have in life. And especially we should never judge ourselves based upon our achievements. Now I want you to know the Romans, they judged themselves based upon rank, wealth, title, and status. 
And the world today believes exactly the same thing. The world believes that people distinguish themselves, that is, set themselves apart from other people by these same standards. We call them status. We try to live up to the status because we believe this status symbol, our status, makes us different or separates us from others. That's what holiness means. It means to be set apart. So we try to set ourselves apart by wealth, by the clothing we wear, by our rank or our title or our talents or our achievements, even in the military. When somebody gets a medal, they say Sergeant so-and-so distinguished himself by meritorious service by doing this, this, and this. And that medal that he wears says, I am different, I am special, I am holy, I am set apart from the rest of you guys. All these standards are rooted in pride. And their pride is basically an overestimation of an individual's worth, which causes that person to underestimate other people's worth too. In other words, I'm holier than thou. I'm better than you. I'm richer than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm smarter than you. I know more. I can talk better. I can play music better. I can run faster. My daddy can beat your daddy. All of these things have their root in pride. And they're a result of overestimating ourselves. Now, some in the church, in the church world in general, think of themselves more highly than they ought to. That's just a simple fact. They set themselves apart from others based on the same flawed standards of holiness, which is an overestimation. Based on what? Things in life. Status. The dangers of self-righteousness holiness. There's a, there is a true holiness, and then there's a self-righteous holiness. A self-righteous holiness has the thinking or the th thought pattern that you are better than others. You're separated because of your title. Do you know who I am? I, I, I know people. You know, I heard a guy come in, he had his laptop all messed up, and HP wasn't fixing it for him. And he was complaining to beat the band. He says, they don't know who I am. I know the general director or whatever. Well, in the end, that fellow had to pay for his uh, repair just like everybody else. They didn't care who he knew. The dangers of self-righteous wholeness vs. true wholeness are harmful to the body of Christ and our ministry. Just as a tree is known by its fruits, we can judge the results of self-righteous holiness. 
Just as you can walk up to an apple tree and say, that's an apple tree, and make that judgment. You can look at the, the fruit of self-righteous holiness and realize that it's not good. When these standards are based in pride, it, it first causes division in the body. That's the first thing it does. And this is what Paul is warning us about. It causes division in the body. Now, I believe a church has a right to set certain standards based on conventional uh, wisdom of the Scriptures, what people believe this means. And I believe that we have the right to set standards based upon common sense. But when these standards are based in religious pride, they always bring confusion and not union. They divide the church. And uh, Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Secondly, these religious pride interferes with our ministry. Holiness, as I said, means to be set apart for service. When you're thinking of self-righteousness, you're thinking of being set apart and different, but you alienate yourself from those that you serve. Those that are weak and feeble, the sinner, we become so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly use. We cannot relate because we build that wall around us. And it's based out of pride. Thirdly, the original sin which caused the rebellion in heaven was based on pride, and it simply was Satan thinking he was equal with God. Was that not what it was? Satan thought he was set apart. He was the anointed cherub. He thought he was so special that even God had to answer to him. And that brought rebellion. You see, pride only serves to separate us from God, not sin. Pride is sin. And it's one of the worst sins because it is the original sin of rebellion. And fourthly, it causes us to compare ourselves by ourselves. Paul wrote, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Now what that means is, if I compare myself with God, I fall short, don't I, Sean? Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. That our righteousness before God's righteousness is as filthy rags. No one excels in glory to God. We all fall short of the glory of God. And if I compare myself with you, 
then how much do I know about you? I may think I'm better than you. As a college graduate, I may think I'm better than a high school graduate. But what makes you think that a high school graduate knows anything? We can't compare ourselves with ourselves or by ourselves because we are not the standard of perfection that we need to compare ourselves with. All we can do is look to God and say, Woe is me! I'm undone without God. Without God, I'm nothing. That's the sober thinking that a Christian ought to have. They're running around looking like a puffed-up peacock they're not showing holiness. It's eyewash. In fact, they're showing their pride, Satan's pride, more than they're showing God's holiness. Now, there's never... The, this third thing that we've got to look at about, about overestimating ourselves is to think that we're equal. See, when you think all things are equal and one gets accomplishes something greater than another then we say well that person distinguished himself he's come out of the crowd he separates himself he's set apart he's different he's holy I want to tell you something that I've learned in the Bible there has never been a time on earth where any two people were ever made equal. I'll say it again. There has never been a time on the earth in the history of man where two people were made equal. Now, I know what the Declaration of Independence says. It says all men are created equal and endowed with certain unalienable rights by their creator. That among these is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, I did a study on that once, and I realized that uh, those rights, if enumerated, that is listed, would fill the world with all the rights that God has given us. But all these rights come from one right. And that is the right to choose. God gives every man the right to choose. And if there is any equalness about us, it is that we all have a right to choose and we are all held accountable for the choices we make. And what makes us different is the choices we make. But those choices are based upon God's opportunities that he gives. So it's very hard to, to stay equal. Now I know the Bible says God is no respecter of persons, but that doesn't mean he's made us all equal. You see, he has not given everybody the same amount of grace. He has not given everybody the same measure of faith. 
Romans 12 verse 4 if we read on, and that's where we're getting into this. It says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. That is, our place in life, our status. First of all, even in the church, God has not made us all equal. Equality is something only in the devil's mind. Verse 5 goes on, So we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Verse 6, and I want to say verse 6a, because I'm dividing this into two thoughts. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. That is, our talents, our achievements, our status, our wealth, our place of birth, everything about us comes from God. They are gifts. The, the next thing that a Christian does that is thinking soberly is they consider everything they have in this world as gifts from God. They're nobody without God. They're not equal with anybody else. There is none like you. The Bible said we're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unique. Your fingerprints is different than anybody else's on this world. Your DNA is different. God made you different, not equal. And then everything that you have is a gift. God's thinking does not conform to the world's way of thinking, church. I've seen a bumper sticker that I used to see a lot around here. It was a, I believe it's a true bumper sticker, the statement on it. It says, American by birth, Southern by the grace of God. And when you think about that, everybody's not an American. Do you know there's people in this world that will risk their life? They will make sacrifices so that they might be able to come into this country just to live here and work off of the back of a potato truck? Amen. I want you to know God has blessed you. If you're an American, God has blessed you. It is a gift from God not to be bragged about, but to thank God about it. And to be Southern is even an extra bonus. <laughs> of course, if you think about it, isn't that statement a little pride? <laughs> Southern pride, it is. Again, it is the grace of God, though. We didn't have nothing to do with where we were born. We might have thought our parents did, but... Amen. They're the fruit of what God gave us. God created us. So that's a gift. Your very birth is a gift. Life itself is a gift. 
My Bible teaches me that God gives His grace without regard to status or merit. In other words, we don't do anything to earn this birthright that we have. He anoints those whom He chooses according to His own good pleasure. Now, you might say that's not fair, but take it up with God. All right? He anointed David to be king among all of his brothers. And David was the least among all his brothers. He anointed Saul to be king, and Saul was the least among all, and his family was the least in Israel. God chooses the weak and beggarly things of the world to confound the wise. Amen. When he bestows abundant honor and a calling upon somebody, that is your anointing. That is your gift from God. You know, the parable of the talents, he didn't give everybody the same number of talents, did he? But all were given an equal opportunity to use the talent that God had given them. Somebody say amen to that. Because they all had opportunity. Equal opportunity. Not equal talent, but equal opportunity. They all could make choices concerning the gift that God had given them. And the choices they made resulted in growth or achievement. But they could not claim the right to this achievement because the master reaps where he does not sow and he gathers where he does not strow. It's all his. It's his gift. And it's his fruit. And we are merely stewards of God's gifts. And that's the next thing about it. We are stewards of God's gifts. So the true, holy-minded, sober-thinking saying of God always sees himself as nothing without God. He always sees everything that he has as a gift from God and is thankful for those. And he always sees himself as a steward of those gifts. They don't belong to him. Now that's a different way of thinking, is it not? The world don't look at it that way. The world looks at it as your achievements, as your money, as your family, as your country. But a well, Christian ought to be looking at it as a gift from God. Now that's a different way of thinking, and I believe that's a sober way of thinking. Now, he didn't give them equal responsibility either. They were all responsible for what they had. But the man that had the five talents was not responsible for the man that had the two talents. He was only responsible for what he had. And those that, that excelled or increased their talent through their decisions and wisdom, and it's always wise to do what God wants you to do, <laughs> they increased in their gifts. They got more. 
And the one that had the two went and hid it. He was only responsible for those two, not for the five. But I want you to know, the man that did not choose to invest those two lost the gift that God gave him, and it was given to the man with five, who actually had increased it to, what, ten? Now he had twelve. And we look around and we wonder, why does this man have twelve talents and this man has none? Why does he only have weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, it has a lot to do with his choices he made. But God's gift was the same. He gave them all the same opportunity. Jesus said, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. So God requires more from a person that has a lot than he does from a person that doesn't have a lot. The person that has a, a college degree, God may expect more from that person than the one that has a third grade education. But I believe he expects the one with the third grade education to make decisions to improve his status in life by going to school and doing whatever he needs to do. But he's only responsible for taking what he has and working with it. We, that's why we can't use those things as excuses. We can't use that poor education as an excuse because God doesn't hold us accountable for a great education. He only holds us accountable for what we have, the education we do have. He that knows to do right and doeth it not to him it's sin. Fellow that don't know nothing, he probably can't do nothing wrong. Of course, he's still undone without God, is he not? 